It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We do it as officially the lunch hour of the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show, and that means it's time to remind the good people out there that the Calling Companies Championship is coming to Firestone Country Club July 12th through the 16th. Fun, family-friendly events for everybody. Free concert. Kids get in free. Check out more information at callinggolf.com. And with that, let's welcome on a Browns legend, Tom Darden, the franchise all-time leader in interceptions, has figured out the tech issues, the system glitches have been corrected, (laughs) and there is our guy, Tom, how you doing today, Tom? Hey, I'm doing all right, guys. How you guys doing? Great. We're Good. great. It's great to have you on. Tom Darden, for those that, and I imagine a lot of in our audience are just too young to remember, um, but Tom Darden, uh, once upon a time, wasn't just the best defensive back for the Browns. He was among the best defensive backs in the NFL. Uh, I think a couple of years, or at least once, I know you led the NFL in interceptions. You're the Browns' all-time interception leader, and guys, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that record is going to be very difficult to break because interceptions don't happen yeah. nearly as often now as they once did. Tom, why is that? Why is today's our, our quarterbacks just better? Are our defensive backs taking fewer risks? Why are interceptions down so much? Uh, my personal feeling is that, uh, number one, quarterbacks are a lot better. Uh, the ball doesn't stay as much up in the air as it used to. Uh, quarterbacks are throwing ropes like like only a few quarterbacks could do that when I was playing. Um, and also, I think because offenses now realize that you can go down the field if you go six, seven, eight yards instead of 15 or 14 like we used to have. Uh, you know, the outs were running 12, 13 yards instead of, That's crazy. You, know, you know, today I think they're run more like six to eight yards. Right. So the ball's not in the air as long as it used to be. That forty-five interceptions. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. That, that, it just it, that, those numbers look insane because today, you know, now you you almost have to gamble um, to get interceptions, and to have forty-five is you know we you know this is no shot at Greg Newsom. Greg Newsom's been in the league what going on his third year and has not had one interception. And it's a tremendous and it's a great back. is it a great cover corner. Um, what do you guys uh, do? You think the, the defensive backfield has, um, I would say, evolved to a point um, nowadays? You got guys who are considered just the slot, and and guys on the outside are just you know your main two corners. Um, did that? When did that evolve? And did you guys play it a little differently um, in terms of the three cornerbacks and, and slot cornerbacks with different technical responsibilities? No, we had, uh, you know, we had certain guys, like when I played, Clarence Scott, who was, in my mind, one of the best cornerbacks around. I mean, he stayed on the outside receiver. He stayed outside. Um, Actually, I played in the slot uh, sometimes uh, as a free safety and a lot when I was a strong safety, uh, but we didn't have the one-on-one coverage like they do today. we played a lot of zone, played a lot of double zone, uh, which we start actually my, during my tenure was when the double zone became popular. Um, and the double zone helped a lot because the outside corners were jamming the outside receivers. So as a free safety, I knew that the outside receivers were not going to get down the field that quickly. So I could scan and see where the quarterback was looking Generally, he'd be looking where the two receiver side was, whether that was a, a wide out and a tight end or whether it was two wide receivers. So I could kind of move in that direction, knowing that nine times out of ten, he's going to throw the ball in that direction. Tom, is it my imagination or are, are the teams in the league playing a lot less bump now? Then, right. then they, they they used to just get do it. up on the line and they were in your I mean they just were jamming everybody and now it just <sighs> seems like there's so many free releases. When did that happen and why do you think that happened? Well, it, it was a transition in the league even when I was playing. Um, it started 
when I came in in 72, we could beat the receiver up all over the field. <laughs> so, you know, offenses started whining. Uh, the fans started whining. So they said, no, you cannot touch the receiver for five yards down the field. And, um, oh, let, let me make sure I get this right. After I'm five old yards now, down so the field. Yeah, you uh, you could be on you could be in a, a bump position, and you could bump him as long as he was in front of you. Right. Once he got to the side of you, you had to keep your hands off of him. Yeah. And especially when he got behind you, you had to keep your hands off of him. So, our thing was you got to keep him on the line of scrimmage as long as you possibly can. Uh, in today's world. Those guys can't even touch the receivers. I, I feel bad for them. They, uh, you know, you you're asking a guy to run backwards and stay with these guys that are running four two four ones. You know, things that I never never saw. Thank God I never saw. And I was... <laughs> uh, Tom Boogie Roberts here. Um, to put things into perspective, you know, uh, the numbers you had. We're in the 70s, you know, where the passing game hadn't evolved to where it is today. Do you ever Correct. sit back and wonder, like, man, that 45 might be 60, 65 interceptions if you played in today's game? Do you ever get a little jealous, or do you feel like it was easier back then? That's a good question. Um, I, I'd like to believe, because I'm a firm believer that if you're a good athlete, mm -hmm. you're a good athlete. I don't care what. You know, I look at Jim Brown's take. Jim Brown was one of the best. He was, he probably could run over people <coughs> in his time. He could run over guys, maybe not as much, because guys are bigger, stronger, faster today. But the great ones, in my opinion, could play in any era, in any time. Um, I just think football is football. Uh, so uh, I'm going to say that uh, obviously – being an old man now, there's no way I could get out on the field now. But comparing the, the eras is always a difficult thing. But uh, I really believe guys don't intercept passes like they used to because they don't have great hands in the secondary like they used to. Tom, to that point, you know, the 45 uh, career interceptions for the Cleveland Browns, uh, I'm looking at this list, man. And the last active player that came even close to that was Joe Hayden. Do you think your record will ever be broken? All records are made to be broken, I believe. But when that's going to happen, uh, things have to evolve a little bit. You know, especially now, um, you look at the offenses, they're taking what the, what you, the defense gives them. If, if, if we got to throw the ball four or five yards down the field, I mean, I guess Tom Brady made a, a living out of doing that. Yeah, sure you did. looked at him at New England, uh, he threw the ball down the field five, six, seven yards. Um, we didn't, it was not like when, not, when Terry Bradshaw, uh, Kenny Anderson, Joe Namath, you know, all of those guys that, that I played against, they would throw the ball 12 to 15 yards down the field all the time. Tom, it doesn't do happen have, like that anymore. Do you have a favorite defensive back on this current Cleveland Browns team? A favorite defensive back. Yeah. Yeah, Erich Barnes was my favorite. Erich Barnes could he could take your head off. And see, that was another that's another thing. When I came in the league, I was taught that if you take the head, the body will follow. Right? <laughs> so we our thing was you gotta knock somebody out when they come into your area. So when they start Coming into your area, they start looking. They start uh, their eyes start twitching, going from looking at you to trying to find the ball instead of staying on the ball. And when you get receivers thinking that they're going to get hit, many times they'll drop the ball. I, I just looked up because I, I was curious. Uh, I think the gold standard of defensive backs is Deion Sanders. I think most of us would would agree that, especially when it comes to cover skills. Now, I know a lot of times teams would just X his zone of the field off, like they, they weren't throwing his way. But he had 53 career interceptions, mm -hmm. which is only right. eight more than Tom right. Darden <clears throat> had for, for his career. So not only are we talking about a record that I think is going yeah. to stand f 
for I good. I do too. Just because you 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 basically have to have a guy with five interceptions nine straight seasons to tie him. Five interceptions will lead the league. Yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, Tom, your record is safe for two reasons. One, because 45 is that's, a, that's ridiculous. That's amazing. That's just a testament to how great, how much of a great player you were. And also, guys aren't staying in one situation that long nowadays. You get what yeah. I'm saying? Everybody's that's chasing true. the bag. You put two, three years together, you're looking for your next bag. And if your current team isn't going to give it to you, you're going somewhere else to get it. So even if your young guy is on pace to maybe tie or break your record, and let's say the Browns don't want to pay them that money, they're gone, and then it's on to the next person. Your record is safe for another decade or so. Yeah. So I'm here to say your record is safe. Congratulations. That's You had an amazing <laughs> career. I well, agree. Yeah, and I yeah. think I can route you up, but that's here for another day. So, Tom, <laughs> the one thing that I really want to get into with you is obviously uh, you were part of the Cardiac Kids, Cleveland Browns, and, uh, you know, I, I know it's got to be painful to talk about the, the loss to the Raiders, who eventually went on to win the Super Bowl after they defeated the Browns 14-12 to in really one of the most memorable games in Cleveland Browns history. What do you remember most about that game, about that day? If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. It was it was just horribly cold. That I remember. Uh, and I remember we had to change shoes to go from cleats to uh, tennis shoes because the ground was frozen. You could not get any traction with cleats in the secondary. So we changed to tennis shoes. Um, I also remember that we on defense felt like we controlled that game. Uh, we felt that there was no way that Raiders were going to score on us. Uh, for some reason, we just, you know, uh, Marty Schottenheimer had put together a great defensive game plan um, they you know like obviously because of the weather it was difficult for guys like Cliff Branch who was probably one of the fastest guys in the league at that time he had to he had to, to ratchet it down a little bit because he couldn't stand up if he tried to cut after running so fast so it was really in our favor I believe defensively uh, that game uh, plus when you, you get into a game situation where you feel like you are controlling things, I mean, that doesn't happen too often. And you just feel so confident and so good about being on the field. Our defense felt we could really win that game on defense that day. That, that game was defined by Red Right 88, which um, was the Brian Sype pass on second down when the team was already in field goal range late in the fourth quarter, but because the field conditions were so bad and, and the weather was bad, the wind was blowing, I think Don Cockcroft had missed two rather short Correct. field goals earlier in the game, so the team Correct. should have been up. So Sam Rattigliano is looking at this saying, well, we can run the ball on second down, run the ball on third down, try to get it closer, and then try another field goal to win 15-14. Instead, he calls red right 88. The ball is intercepted, and that was that. What was your thought as you saw Sype drop back to pass on second down there? And take us through the play and your emotions after. Well, first of all, I couldn't understand why we were throwing the ball at that time. <laughs> You're not alone. And especially because of the field conditions and the, uh, the you know, the, the conditions in the uh, stadium as a whole. Um, it, it, it lends itself to, you know, controlling the ball through the run. Um, but, you know, Brian Sipe had a heck of a year that year. Our offense 
you know, I don't know how many times they pulled us out uh, in the last few minutes of the game. I think it was seven or eight times we won games in the last few minutes of the game. Um, so, you know, you really couldn't argue with that fact. I guess the only thing that I would say to Brian was, why don't you throw the ball in the Lake Erie? That's all I got to say. <laughs> right. Which I think, Sam, is the last thing Sam told him. If Ozzie isn't open, throw it into Lake Erie. And we all know we all know uh, how it ended. And, you know, you mentioned Sype was the AFC Offensive Player of the Year that year. He's throwing to Ozzie Newsom On paper, minus the conditions, it looks like a smart play. Unfortunately, it, uh, it led to one of the more memorable heartbreak moments in Cleveland Browns history. You know, you know, Tom... I, sometimes when I, I I talk to the greats, the, the you know the OGs, so to uh, so to speak, um, that played for the Browns, um, do you do you kind of share in the the angst and I, I guess the pain of not being not not able to see your team on Super Bowl Sunday? I was telling my dad, I said, you know, it, 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 there's always a generation of people that grow up, and you, you when I grew up. I watched it with my dad and, and there was this foregone conclusion that one day that the Browns would get there and we would watch the game together because hey, you know, we both young, we both doing it. And then now uh, year after year, I'm 41. Now I see my dad getting older. He, you know, he's he's approaching 70 and it, there's this thing in the back of my mind who, that says that that might not happen. I might not, he, he might not be here to see it. Um, is, is, is there ever a thought in your back of your mind? Like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm really surprised that we have not made it to the pinnacle, which is to go to the Super Bowl yet. It's interesting that you should, uh, ask that question. Uh, when I came to Cleveland in 1972, uh, we won our division and, uh, went to the playoffs to play the Miami Dolphins down in Miami who were undefeated. Uh, and everybody was calling them the best team in the history of the NFL and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. We had them beat. We had them beat down in Miami. Uh, I'll never forget uh, Jim Kick ran me over at the goal line on one play that scored a touchdown. That was one of the worst feelings I ever had. Um, but there was a pass interference uh, that was called against Billy Andrews when uh, we had a coverage where uh, uh, one of our outside linebackers would go to the wide receiver and play the inside position on that wide receiver. So Ben Davis, who was the quarterback, could play on the outside. So we had, and then I'm in the middle. So if the receiver ran downfield, ran to the middle, I'd pick him up, or at least they if they tried to throw the ball. But anyway, when they called that interference on Billy Andrews, it was like they took the, the wind out of our sails because we had them third and long. Mm -hmm. uh, we were right at midfield, I think, or a little bit over the midfield area. Uh, we stopped them there. It was in the, I think it was in the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter. We were up. Uh, we lost 20 to 12, so we had to be up 20 to 7, something like that. Wow. I can't even remember. But anyway... That interference call gave them a first down. They go in, uh, and uh, it wasn't even Bob Greasy. It was Errol Morrill, who right. was the quarterback. And uh, they go in and score, um, and somehow we just never recuperated. And we ended up losing that. And they go on to be the only team to go undefeated through their entire season. We should have won. And my thought was, Okay, this is a, okay. We lost this one. We could have played better. We should have played better. But I'm going. I'm going to be back there. I know I'm going to be back there. And lo and behold, it wasn't until from '72 to what '81 mm. I went back to the playoffs. Wow! Wow! And and that year too, uh, losing to a uh, a Raiders team <clears throat> at home. The game was here at Municipal Stadium, and uh, the Raiders went on to win the Super Bowl. Tom, thanks for catching up with us. We appreciate, appreciate it. It's, uh, it's always good hearing your stories. And uh, we got our eyes on that number 45, man. I don't think anybody's going to ever come close to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I hope someone does, to be honest with you, because that means 
that we're intercepting a lot of passes and hopefully winning a lot of games. <laughs> I like your line of thought there. I like your line of thought. Sandusky native, Michigan grad, Tom Thank Darden. you, guys. Tom, great to see you. Thank you, guys. Great to see Thank you. Thank you. Good to see you guys. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate it. He was a ball hawk. I mean, he was just always around it. And I know there were more interceptions back then, but it just seemed like every time they needed a big play, Tom was in the right place. He was a smart player. Yeah. Um, he's, he's being humble when he talked about his athleticism. Yes, he was a great athlete, but so often he read things before anybody else saw what was coming and he put himself in the right position to make the interception. I could tell I'm born into this whole Browns thing, man, because I just got pissed off listening to that story. And yeah, I was not even thought of in 1972. Like the, the heartbreak that we've experienced as Cleveland fans, Cleveland Browns fans, year in and year out, decade in, decade out. It's, it's just something. crazy. And like I said, I'm listening to this story and I'm putting myself there and it's like, I'm pissed right now, but yeah. like, damn, man. Yeah, I mean, that's that he's right. That Dolphins team is still the only team in the modern NFL era to go completely undefeated yeah. in the regular season and go on to win the Super Bowl. Because I did the commercial, I played Larry Little. In the That's course, right, so, so you that, did. It was a 50-year anniversary, so hearing him tell the story, and I'm sitting there like, dang, they lost to that team. I felt this pain. And they, 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 that game was theirs to win, playing in Miami against yeah. a really good football team. It's always something. In the 70s, you had that. In the 80s, or early 80s, you had Red Right 88, and then you had all of the disappointments, the drive, the fumble, the losses to the Broncos that even carried into the 90s. But what's really sucks is we haven't had that disastrous close call since except for and I know that people shake their heads when I bring this up. But I mean, in 2020, we had the Kansas City Chiefs beat. <laughs> no, I'll take it before we that. we had the Kansas City Chiefs beat. Dennis Northcutt, the drop on fourth and that six. was big too. That was big, huge. We you know who we didn't have beat? The New York Knicks. <laughs> the Cavs didn't have them at all. He was about to blow. You asked one more question. It's for the blow gasket in this mic. So Are you guys getting tired of Donovan Mitchell? I know. Are you guys getting it? Because he wants to get his NBA stuff in. No, we got a game that we can't do without Boogie. We'll do it. So we got to get it's it. It's going to happen. I promise well, I'm you. I'm not going nowhere. Are we? Uh, no, he means today. Oh, okay. Are, are we getting tired of Donovan Mitchell and his New York Knicks love affair? Um, the most recent piece of evidence on the file after after the series was over, uh -huh. um, I didn't like I didn't like some of his comments. Um, and Jason Lloyd had been telling us throughout the regular season he wants to go back to New York. I'm hearing throughout the league that he wants to go back to New York, which meant Donovan Mitchell was telling people I want to go to New York. When I say back to New York, that's where he's from. So now play play this this from a podcast over the weekend. Uh, Donovan Mitchell saying more great things about New York and the Knicks. This is the Run Your Race podcast. Steve, you can take it. Anthony, hit play. I know you lost, but go ahead. Bro, we got for game three when we came out for, uh, for warm-ups and all that. Like, the noise, the fans was in there already. When they did the anthem, bro, that shit was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That shit was crazy. Like, when they did the anthem, yeah. I was like, damn, this shit, this shit is jumping. Like, I was geek. The people want to know, how was it playing in the garden? I don't know. I mean, it's one thing to give respect to a, a opposing team's fans and their atmosphere, but because it's New York and because it's D-Mitch and because of the history and all of that, it just rubs me the wrong way. Am I the only one? I look at it different. You know, um, as an athlete, we went to go play the Memphis Showboats, and – after the game, I'm like, wow, they were rocking. Those fans are going crazy. You just appreciate it as an athlete. So I'm going to hope that he was asked a question on a podcast. It just mm -hmm. so happened to have to be about the New York Knicks and tensions are high right now. And mm -hmm. he said things in the past, but I'm going to give him a pass on, on that one. I don't know if he said other things that have led you to feel this way, Jay, but just on that specific um, small little video that I just watched. You understand I, it. I, I understand it because I, I found myself talking about other away teams crowds and the atmosphere. Okay. It, it's just amazing. It makes the game fun. You're just like, wow, this place is rocking right now. That's fair. So so I, I'll, I'll lean towards that. For me, I don't care. And if I had to look at it differently, he's a native New Yorker. He's clearly a diehard sports fan. And he just played his first ever playoff game where he's from. And so I can only imagine what like internally he was feeling. Yeah. 
you know, a, a lot is made of him constantly mention New York. But to me, it's like, so what? I understand that's where he's from. If I play professional sports, right? I love the city of Cleveland. I love everything about Cleveland sports. And I play professionally somewhere else. I'm going to do my job, but I'm also going to be honest with my fans and whoever else about, hey, I'm from the land. Yeah. I love the Browns. I, I, you know, I, I love the Guardians. I love the Cavs. Let's say I was in the NBA playing for the Bulls. I'm going to still love the Cavs. You know, if you ask me a question, I'm going to be honest about it. This is why it doesn't, it, it just don't bother me. It's up to Kobe Altman to have a plan for the worst case scenario. Right. If you, in your mind, think worst case scenario, to me, that makes you a better planner. And if you're a better planner, then you got a contingency plan in case he does want to go leave and go play in New York. Yeah. And so these comments, yeah, to your point, though, you know how they say, man, read between the lines. He's kind of telling you something without telling you something. So if you know that, then it's up to Altman to have a plan. So, no, I'm not in my feelings about it. I don't care. Am I being overly sensitive here? Look how he's sitting in that chair. He's so. Uh, <laughs> he feel away. He do. <laughs> I no, I don't. I don't feel a, I don't feel a kind of way towards Donovan Mitchell. I feel a kind of way that 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 the people in our city consistently make the same mistakes, and we be trying to tell y'all, like, y'all and y'all like will put your head in the sand and not understand. We uh, we were here when LeBron left once. We were here when LeBron left twice. All of the same things that he's doing is the same things LeBron did. Yeah. Right? We were here when we drafted Kyrie. And Kyrie said, I ain't never going nowhere, right? And I was like, yeah, right. He's going somewhere tomorrow. Think about this. Kyrie Irving won a championship in 16 and was upset because he knew he couldn't leave and demand a trade after he hit the biggest shot in the history of the Cavs organization. If we've all been sitting here during this time frame, why are we acting so naive? The reality is Kobe Altman is up against it. See, what happened was you was living off of potential. See, in this city, we can live off potential forever, right? Don't, but when you start hitting them expectations and it's like, you better, you better get to this round or this round, all of a sudden we confuse. We don't know what's going on. You made a trade for Donovan Mitchell, right? You made a trade. You gave up three first round picks. Let's not act like that's not the same as Deshaun Watson. If Donovan Mitchell don't work, it sets you back years and years and years because it's not only the fact that you got Donovan Mitchell and he's going to go and you're going to go for free. You have no draft picks to do anything. You have no cap space. So what were you doing? What were you doing, Kobe, when you made this move and then had the, the brilliant mindset to say, you know what? I'm not going to make no sweeping, uh, no sweeping moves. What are you talking about? Any franchise player, bona fide player, hear that? That's saying you waved the white flag. You're good standing. You, you good. We just lost in five in the first round to a lower seed. But we're good. But so why would Donovan Mitchell show any sort of, oh, I'm happy to be here. Let's go back and do this again. These guys know that they had an opportunity. They watched the Miami Heat do what they did. They know that if they had a couple more pieces here or there, we could have been that position. And to, and to your point, Altman was here under Griffin as an assistant, right? So you know the drill. You know the game. You know the blueprint. <laughs> you seen how this played out the first time. And that's what I mean about the good GMs that got contingency plans, right? You got to plan A through Z as far as I'm concerned. And so if he does end up leaving, okay, I'm not blaming Donovan Mitchell. You made the trade. You made the trade knowing that in two years you possibly couldn't have him. So you need to make sure that you got a plan B just in case we don't have him. And, what, and what's the plan? I don't see it, Jay. Can you tell me? What's, what's the plan? No, I see no plan. Just hope. Hope. It, it, hope that he stays. Hope that he's happy. Hope, 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 that the, hope that the shooter we need falls out of the sky. Hope that all the pieces that we're still lacking just fall into our lap, and we somehow put it all together and do a Miami Heat. <laughs> I don't. And and but that's that's not a plan. It's not. Ho hope's not a plan. So do you think he's putting pressure on the organization? Because we've seen this in the past. You know, Kobe did. He threatened the organization. He was more outright with his LeBron makes subtle comments to put pressure on organizations to make moves. Do you think Donovan Mitchell was going about it in, in this way to get his point across rather than just coming out saying if you don't make moves, I'm leaving? Yes, because because communication counts, right? Like like top players across this league want to know one thing I can. I, don't, I listen. Mark Cuban maybe have his faults, right? But I don't I don't never 
I can never begrudge Mark Cuban because he's in the pursuit of winning. It, the move might not work, right? Yeah. It may not work, you know, basketball-wise. But guess what? He's going to go try to do that. And I feel like there's a lot of organizations, not only in basketball but in baseball, that, that they do a good job of selling you the fact that they want to win. They say they want to win. But the business practices and what they're doing in their moves make no sense about winning. Like, how could you say, like, and then, and this is why I get so upset. Like, they sell you 51 wins as a, as a, bro, I, I, we, I'm not <laughs> dumb. I was here when LeBron won 60 games and it twice. 65. 66 <laughs> wins. And you telling me 51 is the magic? Mo no, bro, that is called you drinking the Kool-Aid, which I'm, I've been known to do. I, yeah. I'm the captain of the Kool-Aid man. But then you can recognize when someone else is I, So I know I know a Kool-Aid drinker when I see him. <laughs> I'm not only a client, I'm the president of the Kool-Aid club. And I know you drinking a Kool-Aid, Kobe. And by the way, I hope you ain't doing this. See, I hope you ain't. I hope this ain't coming down like this. Dan Gilbert is not the same as Dan Gilbert. He's had a lot of situations going with his health. He's not as active. And right now, I don't know if you just comfortable. You, 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 you like the position because back in the day, Dan was putting pressure on Gilbert. Dan was putting pressure on all the other general managers. And now it feels like, oh, well, I got 51 wins. I'm second in, in, in executive of the year. The reality of the situation is this. Donovan Mitchell is just like every other superstar, whether it's Harden, all these guys, all of them. It, he sees himself in that elite era, that territory, where he feels like, guess what? If I'm not winning here, I might as well go to New York. And, and, and play at home and get the same love as Brunson got instead of being here. Boogie, to your question, is he doing this to put pressure on the organization? I don't think he is because in late last year, in December of 22, the ink was barely dry on this deal. And Jason comes in and says, man, there's a lot of chatter right now in NBA circles that Donovan wants to go to New York. Facts. Now, I think he thought he was going to New York. He said it. I think he had his hopes up that he was going home. And then when he came here, he's like, well, wait a minute. It's kind of a pit stop between <laughs> Salt Lake and New York. Right. So I'm inching my way closer. Right. Then he looked around. He's like, we've got pieces here. Yep. We've got pieces. But something happened from the day the trade happened to the days where he started whispering gotcha. in the right people's ears I want to be in New York, man. This ain't it. So he probably recognized that either the culture yeah. or the coach, the play style, or the pieces didn't fit together, or the, the style of ball they were playing wasn't what he thought it was going to become. So kind of like a DeMar DeRozan situation when he wanted to go to LA. That's where he wanted to go, but then got traded to San Antonio. So that's kind of where, where you're going down it's and, like and really realize like it's, it's not that bad. I get to play under pop. I still get to be the number one guy. Sure. I get my touches. I'll stick it out for as long as I can, but this really isn't where I want to be. Where I want to be. DeMar just isn't as vocal as Donovan is in letting people know this is just a pit stop. I don't want to be here. Yeah, so I, so I get you and you know today's point. Mitchell says all the right things. He, you he know, won he, the news conference. He, he, he definitely says all the right things. He always tweets out in support of the the other Cleveland pro teams. He's always showing love to the city in general, but you know, maybe he is looking at it and saying, okay, think about this. You got all this young talent and the Cavs got the slowest pace of play in the entire NBA. You know, he probably want to be let loose and probably want to be able to run more. And it's just crazy that Kobe Altman can come out after that elimination and say, well, we're not making no sweeping, sweeping changes to where there's other teams. You see changes being made throughout the NBA everywhere and you're telling me you're going to run well, it were, back. There were two or three NBA champion coaches within the last handful of years that were fired. Exactly. McNuggets, let me ask you this dog. I know you'd be, you be looking at the hoop. Now, now, maybe I'm wrong. You tell me, go back and watch the Utah teams, right? With Rudy Gobert. The Cavs are built and play the same way. Rudy Gobert is a rim running big who blocks shots and is the energy and you can't give him the ball. We got Jared Allen. It's the same person. Rudy Gobert is a little bit taller, maybe quote unquote a better defensive player, but guess what? Didn't fit. Didn't, didn't really fit like he was supposed to. You got Mike Conley, who's a guy who has the ball in his hands a lot. Donovan Mitchell has the balls in his hands a lot. Two guards that, that have to coincide. If you look at the way Utah played, and he was frustrated that Utah couldn't get past a certain extent, 
It's the same thing here. And he might have felt that. And, and all you do is play all his usage is off the charts. All they do is run pick and roll. There are no sets when you watch good teams and you watch teams that go deep in the playoffs. They do not do what the Cavs do, which is and I thought they would get that same idea when it didn't work when Darius Garland was doing it the year prior having the ball the whole time dribbling around passing them that Trey Young game don't work man that Trey Young them is empty stats man. I'm just saying McNuggets. Do they not play like the old school jazz? They they're similar and different in a lot of ways. I mean, the Jazz had a lot of shooting with one big in Gobert. The Cavs don't have a ton of shooting in two bigs. But to your point about the high usage, guys, unless you're LeBron, like a lot of the guys who have led the league in usage rate, Russell Westbrook for a few years, Luka Doncic for a few years, that has not translated to postseason success. And guys like Jokic and even Giannis, who doesn't have a super high usage rate in terms of you know, guard-dominant ball handlers, are the – the generic prototype, and they're not part of, they're all unique and amazing in their own right, but that's more of the philosophy of basketball that, that works. And even the Heat now, like Jimmy Butler has been, has been their leading scorer in either game. They get in contributions from all across the board. It is so hard for a team with one dominant ball handler to keep up for their guys on the court invested in the game and then end up winning on the highest You know level. what, I, I'd love to, it's a conversation because we'll never know, but I'd love to know what this roster would do in Miami with Eric Spolster. Hmm. <laughs> and we're good. We're going to stand past. Stop, stop. Jay, you know the answer to that. Like, I know. mean, he's doing it with a no. roster that you're like, wait a minute. What, who are these guys? K- Caleb Martin. Where did they come from? Vincent. He's finding players that have certain strengths, and he's collected a group of guys, and this is mostly Pat Riley, but you're putting guys into file cabinets. You're going to need one of these. You're going to need one of these. You're going to need one of these guys that can play with one of these guys. You wouldn't want either one of them on their own, but together you're going to want them. And he's put this group together, and what he's done with it is astonishing. So to me, what that says is we tend to look at the NBA coaches and be like, well, you know, do, how much do they really matter? Right. They matter. Well, a lot. if you didn't think that they mattered a lot, they matter. You just go take a look at what they're doing in Miami right now. When I look at Spo, man, I see a modern day Hubie Brown or modern day Larry Brown, a guy who he uses everything from his past, his film breakdown work, having star players, just everything that he's collected over his tenure, and he puts it out there and he's able to get a team like this to the NBA Finals. This is a guy who is going to get the most out of his players mentally and physically on the basketball court. And it, it does make me wonder that if he was the head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers, where would we be at right now? Would he be getting the most out of Isaac Okoro, et cetera? And so when I look at that entire situation, it's like, man, that's what a coach is. You look at the game, right? Game one of the NBA finals. Did he get blew out? Last week, I watched the special on NBA TV. Jay, not sure if you caught it. But it was everything but the ship. And it was about the 2001 Philadelphia 76ers. I didn't see it. And we talked, they talked about basically uh, they get blew out game one against the Pacers. The Pacers was the team that was always sending them home. I remember that. He goes in. He makes all these different adjustments by breaking down the film, watching the film, and, and seeing what intangibles, what things he can tweak to put in there to make, to make things better. They go out the next game. They win. Spolster just did the same thing. We're talking about the Kevin Love wrinkle, right? You put Kevin Love in your starting lineup, you take Martin out. Now you got a natural matchup with him and Aaron Gordon. Right. All of a sudden, you could contain things a little bit more than what you could before. And little things like that, they made big differences in the total outcome that, of the that game. That right there, that, that like, little things like that make big differences. That's it. We talked at the start of the show, and we're clearly transitioning here now to the NBA Finals and what happened in Game 2. We talked at the top of the show about... What happened? How did this happen? And, and a big part of it was Miami hit their shots. They, they, they got hot from outside, and that's a must. If you're going to beat Denver, you better hit your shots. But I thought the bigger adjustment was Spolstra and Riley coming together and saying, okay, so what are we going to do with this monster that we have to play? And they clearly said, let him score. Don't let him be a facilitator. And in the first quarter... He goes out and scores 11 points, which was pretty much 
what he did for the entire game. He finished with 41 to lead everybody. But there was two stat lines that jumped off at me at the Spolstra adjustment that won game two. Jokic had five turnovers and only four assists. So what they did was they let him have his way as a scorer, getting to the basket. But when they saw that he was getting in position to make passes, they were anticipating those passes. They weren't connecting like they did in game one. And only four assists. That's, I think, and McNuggets, I like your thought on that, but when we said on Friday that he's got to insert Kevin Love, and it, but it's not going to work. Well, he did and did work, but I thought a bigger part of it was, and I don't know how much Love had to do with this, but I think Miami defensively was in this mindset. Don't let him find freakish open looks with his passes, and they, that's the part of his game they contained. Yeah, I'll make this real quick, and I think it's being a little overblown. Uh, the Nuggets had their worst three-point shooting game on open three-point shots in the entire playoffs. Do you? How much of that do you attribute to the, uh, Miami? Well, just open shots. So oh, open shots. Open I thought you meant without a defender within six feet. It was okay. the worst they've shot in the playoffs. By they, how much? What was their percentage? Uh, they shot twenty-three percent on it yesterday. I, that's the lowest. I'll find mm. what their and all they had to do is, is hit twenty-seven percent and they win. And they were on an off. Their offensive rating yesterday was one hundred and twenty-four. Wow. Which is, would be first in the NBA. Yeah. Miami slowed the pace down. They, it wasn't their defense slowed down uh, Denver. They no, I got it. They a slower pace. But isn't that, so I think it, like that, I said at the beginning, it was the perfect storm. And I also yeah, said, Miami I, don't think, they, I don't think they can do it three more times. I still think it's Denver in five. Miami but, got super hot. Denver missed a bunch of shots. I wouldn't look too much into it. But it is a testament to Spo, that staff, and the way Miami If you're going to beat them, that's how you do it. it. Exactly. You, you stop Jokic from being this facilitator. Because his 41 points, I love it when a guy scores 40 against us. That means he's probably going to lose. Typically, it does. He and as a as a big, he's not. So if you're not super athletic, LeBron can get to the basket and he'll get a step on you. That's a dunk. That's a layup. But with Jokic, it's like he's a big. He's he weighs a lot. And if you've ever played basketball and you're a big dude and you anything over 230 pounds, the first thing you start to know is. I need to rest on one side of this floor or the other. And the coach used to always say, no, you rest on offense, right? You, 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 you bust your, your tail on defense because we run a man-to-man. You're going to come off screens. You get your rest on defense. Offensively, if we run in like motion or something, you'll rest on offense. But when you got to get 41 points and you that big, that takes a lot of injury, like energy. You're getting banged. You're getting bumped. It's the most I've seen him have to have contested finishes in a long time. Even on, and you saw him pressing, trying to get down court and push the pace and get to get layups because he's like, y'all, I'm getting tired. This is kind of crazy. Coupled with the fact that Miami, every time they got closer, they would hit a shot. I mean, Duncan, uh, Robinson was just, he was just like, step back game. Uh, Strews came out. I think he was like four for four or something. Um, they just was hitting their shots. They got to hit over 23s. If they can hit over 23s, the Miami Heat will be in these games. Uh, it's just the equalizer. I think to Jay's point, I, I, I definitely agree with that. The 41 points is cool, but he only had four assists. And so Spolster game plan was, okay, let's limit how much he can get his teammates involved. I know McNugget says, well, they missed a whole bunch of open shots. And yeah, they did. But the off-ball defense that the Miami Heat played, I think it made them physically and mentally fatigued. And a lot of people don't talk about the things that don't show up on the stat Well, then sheet. that could lead to missing open threes, exactly. too. Uh, and I, so, I Mike, think, if they're working harder on offense and their legs aren't under them, it doesn't matter if you're, if you're guarded or not. That's how teams typically will miss a lot of open threes. Yeah. So maybe, the, maybe they, you know, their, their style did lead to some of those missed open three-pointers. Now, I don't know if that formula can work three more times in, in five games. You know, that's that's my only That's thing. tough. But, but I don't, that's been their formula to get to the championship, though. Yes, but they the, have They've been played. shooting the ball very well to make it to the finals. Every, every round, people keep saying, I don't think Miami can keep this up. This is an outlier. I know. This is an outlier. This is an outlier. When are we going to wake up? And this is just the Miami Does Heat. Does anyone here think the Heat's going to win it? No, but it, with they Eric Spolstra... Well, Eric Spolstra being their head coach and the fact that they did take one of two in Denver, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if they won another game or two, but I still think Denver wins the, the championship. Yeah, because yeah, mm. I don't think Michael Porter Jr. will continue to struggle and play this bad because he's struggling right now. He and 
and he has one of the prettiest jump shots I've ever seen. You know, and he's struggling right now. I think he was two for eight and one for six from three yesterday. So if they can keep him contained, you know, him being that third option, right. when um, that's number two option when Jokic or Jamal goes to the bench. If he can, if he keeps struggling, I can see Miami winning another game or two if they keep shooting 40-plus percent from three-point. Murray's look at the end of the game wasn't a bad look. Oh, it was. Really? I mean, it's a good look. It's a good look. It's a good look for Jamal Murray. You live and die with that. because you do. You If do. he would have made it, he would have been the hero. would have been, he's so clutch, blah, 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 blah. So you just live with the results. It's a fascinating series. It really is. I th- and what Miami's doing is, is incredible. That's why I asked the question, what are the Cleveland Cavaliers if Eric Spolstra is leading the way? I had The only problem I had with that is we keep going back to saying shooting. And it's a personnel problem because even if you switch the coaches, he still has no shooting on a no shooting and no bench right. with that roster. Do you agree or do you I not 100% agree? I 100% agree. I think with Spolstra, it's a package deal. Yeah. With Spolstra and Riley, Riley figures out what the ingredients need to be. Mm-hmm. Which and is personnel, right? The, by the way, they're the ingredients that most people either have at their house or readily available that everybody's overlooking. Right. Oh, man, I forgot how good Cinnamon was. Yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) And Pat Riley goes out and signs Cinnamon, and Cinnamon becomes the star of the show, and Spolster looks like the hero. In in reality, it's the tandem. It's the two of them together that make it work. I don't know why it came to mind. It was like, coming to the stage, Cinnamon. <laughs> cinnamon. Is that a pop? Is that a pop tart commercial cinnamon. or something? <laughs> Crystal on deck. Okay. Um, yeah. Now this game has been hyped. In oh, fact, on yes. the morning call this morning, I got a little excited All when right. Mike explained it. So, Mike, tell us, we'll tell not. the viewers what we're gonna do here. Yeah. And Before Boogie's really it, in the spotlight for it, right? Boogie's in the spotlight for this, and this is the epitome of what the internet's saying. Whenever we tell you what the internet's saying, Endor said a little forecasting. Uh, it's brought to us by. PCC Airfoils. If you're looking for a job with career advancement and great benefits, well, PCC Airfoils is a leading manufacturer in Northeast Ohio. All locations of PCC Airfoils in East Lake Men or Wycliffe and Minerva are eyeing for all positions starting at $18 and up, plus full benefit packages, paid time off, and a signing bonus. You can apply online at precast.com slash careers to learn more. little preview for you guys. Uh, a report came out during the show that Kyrie Irving is recruiting LeBron to Dallas. We're going to talk to about what? that in <laughs> overtime. Now you want to play with LeBron again. Hey, so we're going to talk about that in overtime because we can't remote. do this game without it. Uh, Boogie, do you remember the first time you came in studio? <laughs> we did real tweets or fake tweets and saw if you could remember your old tweets. Yeah, I do. So we have a new game today I came up with called uh, Who Tweeted That? And I have dug through the archives of the three cohorts on the panel with you. <laughs> Jay's Twitter archives, G's Twitter archives, and Earl's Twitter archives. Found some wow. of my favorite tweets, and we're going to see if you can guess who tweeted what. You ready? How it. many are there? There's nine. I say he gets seven. All right. And I also want Bookie's going to answer first. And then I want to hear, and don't give it away. If you know it's your tweet, I want to hear if everyone else can guess okay. who tweeted and or if they remember themselves. But if I know tweeting. it's mine, How? then I can't guess. And then so well, you guys are going to know. Well, guess someone else. Just I don't, play think, it off. I don't okay. think this is fair, though, because they had four people to guess who my one tweet. I You're have right. to guess. But we barely three. knew you, though. We but ba- still, the odds are not in my favor to even get no, seven. Not. I not. have to guess tweets between three different people, and but, they have four to guess I'm gonna one. I'm going to say but, this. We each speak in distinct, different voices. Yeah. But Twitter fingers is different, man. Twitter, it is you turn different. into a different person You're right Twitter. about that. So yeah. We right got nine that. of these in ten minutes. Let's so get you ready it. Come on. Let's these? go. Yeah. First one, <laughs> I love Steve. Take Is there music? Is there who tweeted that music? Steve, you want to play the dramatic music? We'll play some dramatic music. First one. Yep, yep. Wheezy in a house, baby. Boogie, who tweeted this? User one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> That's creative. That's all the tweets I've been getting that be eggs. Yep, yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep, yep. I don't care if you just said it. That don't make me think it's you. Yep, yep. It's wild. Wheezy in the house. So you got to have some swag to him to call him Wheezy. I don't yep. know, Jay. You might call him Lil Wayne. No, but you a hip-hop guy. Yep, yep. Wheezy in the house. I'm going to go Jay. Earl, who do you think? I'm going to go Jay. Yep, Steve? yep, it's Jay. Yep, yeah, I'm, Jay, I'm, he said. I'm, this it sounds like some ESPN stuff. So this might be, <laughs> this is ESPN. He was actually in the house. We might say Wheezy in the house when we listen to his music. Yeah. Jay literally saw him on the st- stage. I'm going to go with Jay. And the answer, Steve? It is Jay. Yes. Uh, that is a Jay tweet. Yeah. And here's how we're going to do That's it. That's how the umpire, you know the ump when you get a... <laughs> yeah. One for one. We're going to let Boogie 
guess first. If Boogie's wrong, the rest of us will guess. Okay, so that's if fair. Boogie's right to make sure we fly through. That's we want to go through. Uh, By the way, I, I remember that day like it was yesterday. Yeah. One for one. It that was, was 2011. He was actually tweet, in the house. He was in the house. All right, tweet number two. Take it, Steve. It's National Beer Day, and I don't drink beer, but you can definitely pour me a double at Jameson with a glass of Merlot. Boogie, who tweeted this? It's National Beer Day, so they wanted to make, make it seem like they were up to date on stuff. What they really wanted from Jameson. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. <laughs> you look like a Jameson drinking brother. <laughs> so you go Earl? It was Earl. It was Steve? Earl. Man. Yeah, I, I, it yeah. was Earl. It was Pearl. See, I, 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 it was either Dequell or Earl, and yeah. Dequell wasn't an option, so. And if you you keep mentioning that Merle and Jameson, you're going to be talking to Earl. <laughs> like, you can't, what kind of mix is that? Man, listen, man, Jameson and Ginger Ale with a glass yeah, of Merlot to taste it, that's where it's at. All right, two for two. <laughs> two for two. Steve. Tweet number three. You nope, that's the reveal. Next one, Steve. Take it. Let me strongly recommend the Coca-Cola marinated steak tacos from at Barrio Cleveland. Who tweeted this book? Who's eating Coca-Cola marinated steak tacos? Let me strongly recommend. Jay's always trying to lead somebody to the room. To the, in the right line. direction, yeah. <laughs> Coca-Cola marinated steak is he something said, this is, this that is Jay a would try. Because I wouldn't try it, but if Jay led me there, I, I might walk through the door and try it. So I'm going to go with Jay. Come on. And Boogie's three for three, man. Boogie, man. Boogie is three for three. That is a Jay. That is a Jay tweet. Man, you say there yeah. eight. And let me strongly yeah. still recommend. Still. Those things are yeah. absolutely And fire. I'm standing on it, right? Like, yes. Like, I've had them many times in my life. Yes. This is, this is good. They're good. All right, next one. Three this is a tough three. one. Tweet number four. Could he go nine for nine? Malik Willis arm, ridiculous. Throwing 70 yards at no effort. Pray the Steelers don't draft this guy. Hashtag Browns, hashtag Malik Willis, hashtag NFL Combine called. Boogie, who was singing Malik Willis hype? This has to be the Kool-Aid drinker himself, the Kool-Aid man. <laughs> this has to be Mr. President of the Kool-Aid drinking club. Getting hyped after a workout video, so you know I'm gonna go <laughs> with my guy. Man. <laughs> He's right. He's four for four. Boogie's You're, good, man. I, what, what I love about what this. What color is, Kool-Aid was it though? Purple. Purple. Yeah, it was. Purple. He know, what, what, what's crazy is you know just enough about us, yeah. but it's your deductive reasoning that's next level. Yeah. Four for four. Four for four. Boogie, if you get this next one. I'm about to start coming up with harder games because this is this is outrageous. He was seven of seven on the fake tweets, four of four. I have not stunned Boogie yet. He's eleven of eleven against me. I don't like that. All right, tweet number five, Boogie. Goes like this. This one put gorilla glue on her hair as a substitute for hair gel. It didn't turn out well. More at 10 p.m. Who tweeted this? This is tough. I feel like. Earl was talking about this on another show that he was doing. <laughs> and this just was one of the topics that came up. This seems like something you talk about on radio or something like that. So I'm going to go with Earl. And for the first time I ever, think it's damn. McNuggets has stumped Boogie. I think, I think I did that. Oh, you did that? I think I did and it on a radio beef. show. Jay, why do you think you did it? And then Jay, you tell me why oh, you think you did good. it. Oh, this is good. I, I don't know why I would have teased a 10 p.m. show because I've started shows that start at just about every time of the day, but I don't know that I've ever started or anchored a show that tweeted at 10. But I, I do have a recollection of a woman yep. putting uh, Gorilla Glue in her in her hair. In her and, hair. and she slicked, it was baby slicked back. And I she remember had she, had to go, she had yeah. to go to the, to the, uh, the emergency room. Yes, yes. That must and the video, what we need now is the, the video. Because, because it was the video. Was freaking so who, hilarious. So who tweeted this? I tweeted it, it because. I, Are you I, confident, G? I, Are you confident? I, Jay, you think you did it? I feel like that's my language. I'm gonna say Jay. Well, how would I? How was I supposed to get it's it if they don't even know who tweeted it? <laughs> if they don't even know who tweeted it, we're like, how am I supposed to know who tweeted it? He said, "Take it, Steve. Take it." It's a seven to midnight topic. He right. That's a seven to midnight radio topic. That's like what that ten, is. Ten o'clock. You you you. Ain't nobody listening. You know, my analyst wasn't around. I knew one of y'all had to be on a show. It could have been talking about this. I could have been producing. Yeah, yeah. He could have been hosting. 
And literally, that could have been either three of them. I feel, too, that I also tweeted about this. Yes. One. And I tweeted the video. I don't yeah, even want to go on. Because I, I had this, like, no the more. video was crazy. Oh, the video was fantastic. Absolutely. And and when you see it, you're like, what in the hell? Why what would, was she thinking? How did she, she think this that? was going to end? You know what? This makes sense. The program director is sleep by team. Yeah. So we can, get, put it out we can get away with this. <laughs> All right. We got four more in four minutes. Oh, okay. Man. We got to fly. Next one. Take it, Steve. I can eat about 15 tacos in one sitting, and I'm not over-exaggerating. To follow, though, I'm all for it. Look who tweeted this. To follow, though? I don't know the to follow, though. To follow, though? I know that's not Jay. To follow, though. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm going to go with Earl because Earl trying to trick me and get it. I wouldn't say that. Come on, please. You're good, bro. Boogie, I don't like wow. it, man. You're good. This is an Earl the Pearl exclusive. Yeah, yeah I, I don't remember the, the follow, though. I can't eat about 15 to 20 tacos. I can't, too. See, and I knew I you would. You it. just gave him a, a taco tweet, and I got it, so I knew it wasn't him. So he was eliminated, and he yeah. said, though. And why would THO? Yeah, like, yeah. so THO. So it was out of you two. And why would, a D, why would a D lineman say how much they can eat? You know yeah. they can yeah. eat a lot of food. So, yeah, like, who says that? Yeah, it's got to be a skinny dude. Yeah, skinny dude. Hey, here we go. All right, next one. Steve, take it full. Five out of six. Let me know when a burger fits your schedule. That's it. That's the whole tweet. Nothing else. There was no picture. Was no it a gift. reply? No, this was the whole tweet. Let me this know when a burger fits your schedule. This is more cryptic type. <laughs> this is hieroglyphics, bro. This is Freemasonry. Yeah. Why would we? This was hidden meaning. Schedule, like this. schedule meaning you need to get somebody in. This is Nicholas Cage and National Treasure. He's doing a lot of talking right now. <laughs> so you know what I'm going. He's doing a, talking about burgers and eating. And he's doing a lot of talking, trying to deflect. We know who this. Go ahead and put his. Uh, his You're going G Bush. I'm going he's G. going G Bush. The answer. It's a Jake Paul. <laughs> I don't even know what the hell that. Like, uh, you definitely were trying to reply to somebody and didn't actually hit reply. Oh, I used to do that all the time. It. This is Jay not knowing how to use Twitter <laughs> and, and back in, truth, in the day. And in truth, you know what? In From truth, 2013. Yeah. Now, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. In truth, in truth, back then, I didn't do most of my own tweeting. See you later. Right? So, I, I mean, that's why that so doesn't, doesn't sound count. to me. Because I didn't. But, but because it was wrong, like... It was misused. My producer that tweeted for me like was a Twitter genius. Yeah, I think it was you just messing up. No, right, we got two more. I'm gonna say this. Hold on, hold on, hold on, real quick. It could have been a sub tweet. It could have been a sub tweet. Could have been a sub tweet. Who knows? Could've we got been. two more. We got to right. get through. 90 seconds. Steve, take it. I have this feeling today that today is the day. Bubba Wallace raced his way to the front. Rain short in race or not? This will be huge if this race is today. And Anthony forgot the word today, but that's what it is. Huh? Boogie, who tweeted about NASCAR? Bubba Wallace. If you watch the show, you know the answer. It's real easy. One minute. Going with Earl? No, no. G-Bush? I'm going with G-Bush. You sure? Uh, you missed it. Earl's the big NASCAR fan That was out of platter for him. Rise or dies, NASCAR. Earl loves NASCAR, bro. Get out of here. Hey, he was like, no. (laughs) Notice how we didn't have, it's not the white guy. Like, I thought for sure you would have put that on me. Yeah, All right, number uh, last you one. Don't have to we got to get to NASCAR. it. We got last one. <laughs> Hardest one. Popcorn is the number one food that doesn't live up to the smell hype. Boogie, who tweeted this? We got 30 seconds left. I know I keep picking him, but I just feel like he's the type that'll try to talk about something that smell and taste. And tr- I'm going, going G. Bush? G. Bush, yeah. No, I'm not. It is not. That's I'm a Jay Crawford. Okay, uh, well. Now, by the way, I stand by that. Yeah, like. Like he's when you when you first smell popcorn, you don't, I don't tweet care if you're that much then, huh? These are all old. Jay used to tweet way Jay, more. Jay, yeah, I used to be on Twitter. So what? I get five out of nine. Five, five out of nine. Boogie That's still terrible. over five hundred. You still did pretty good. good, man. That's well, I started off hot and it. Wow. You, you Come on, it. watch Boogie Saturday in Canton, USF or Akron rather, USFL. No, it's.
Hey Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.